All right. Good morning, everybody. Didn't Kim do great? Man, she's awesome. All right. Well, good morning. I got one more announcement before we get into the message. Um, we have these little uh, Easter cards that we got printed off for you guys, and it has our communion service. Do we have a slide, too? Can we bring those up? What does that say? There. So we've got this, uh, this little push card that... I just learned the term push card from some friends of mine, but that's what, you, that's what these are. You, you know, you, you push them on people, I guess. Anyway. Uh, do we have another slide? What's the other one say? There we go. That's what it says on, the, on our card. Um, so it's going to be a living Leonardo da Vinci set, right? And actors are going to come alive and talk to you. It's going to be really good. Uh, bring your friends. So if you want to grab some of these and hand them out to your friends, that would be great. Uh, it is the time, just the season to invite your friends, and Easter is in March this year. So isn't that, isn't that weird that Easter is in March? I think so. Anyway, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we pray that your presence will just be felt and that your word today will be living and that we can honor you uh, with our worship and our praise. So God, right now, uh, as, we, as we begin just to dig into your word, to seek your will for our lives, to take a hard look at who we are, I pray that we will be transparent and honest, we'll open our ears and our eyes, and that we can see you moving in our lives today. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, we are wrapping up our series on uh, the best is yet to come, get there. This could be the last one, so who knows? Uh, but... Uh, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what's, what's the big life objective for you? What's your dreams in life? And so we looked at some very practical things, some practical details. And uh, in order to get there, we have to do, you know, we have to do goal setting. We talked about that. Uh, you even have to do specific tasks in order to achieve your goals. So we talked about that. And today, it's going to be a kind of a different, it's along the same thought, but this one's a, this is going to sound, when I say it, it's not going to sound spiritual but it is. It's not going to sound um, like, like you're not selfish, but it's actually what, it's biblical. And that is uh, the biblical idea of, of making a name for yourself. And what, what does that mean? Now, now when I say I'm going to make a name for myself, I'm going to put my stamp on this planet, that, that's going to come off sounding really arrogant and condescending and, and like, you know, I, I want to, you know, you know, put my mark on the planet or whatever. But uh, it's actually scriptural. Like, your reputation is, is extremely important. It's extremely important. It's actually one of the biblical criterias for being a leader in the church and being an elder. You have to be respected in the community. It's key. It's vital. And we, we, there is this biblical way, we're going to look at this, there's a biblical uh, idea of uh, oh, Patricia Lynn, welcome back, by the way. I see you back there. You have a good trip. Yeah, our little missionary. Good to see you. Um, where was I? She distracted me. Um, you, can, you can achieve success. As you all know, you can achieve success in this world by, uh, uh, by not doing it the right way. You can lie, you can cheat, you can steal, you can be phony, you can be fake, and you can get all the toys you want. That's, usually, that's how our world is run right now. That's the unfortunate truth behind it. So you can even have uh, a good reputation in the community and be unethical. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's the way our world runs. It, it's an unfortunate truth. 
I mean, to bring it, to boil it down to like a really base level, um, we all know that in inner city gangs, the ones that are respected are the drug dealers because they have broken out of a system of poverty by dealing drugs. And all the kids in the community, they respect the local drug dealers. Okay, now that's kind of the base issue here. But it's true for white-collar rich folks, too. You respect the ones that have the material things and the material money. So we're going to be talking about making a name for ourselves. We're, we're going to be talking about, you know, what are you going to write on your tombstone? What are they, they going to say about you when you're dead? Have you thought about this? What are, what are you going to be known for? And uh, it's, it might be difficult to even, to even start thinking about that process. But like I said, it is biblical. Um, Uh-oh, I am missing the first page of my notes. Neron, can you run upstairs? And it, it printed off on labels, just so you know. <laughs> so, so if I don't like my notes, I'm going to take the label off. And Anyway. Uh, okay, let's see if I can do this without my notes. So we, the, what's the key to biblical, biblical uh, uh, making a name for yourself? Well, I'll go ahead and give you the end of it, the, the, the whole structure of the whole message, and that's character. If, you, if, you can't, if, you, if you're trying to make a name for yourself and you don't have character, um, or you don't have biblical character, godly character, then, then you're just doing it the wrong way. You're doing it for yourself, and it, it is completely introspected. Now, uh, character is what we do when people don't see you. You can be respected. Respect is something that people see that you do on the outside, and that might be all and well, but if you want to look, take a deep, hard look, character is what you do when you're alone. It's what you do in the dark. It's what you do when no one else sees you. There's a famous Greek myth where um, there was a young, a young prince or a young knight. There they are. All right, thank you, Neron. There's a young knight, and... Um, he finds a golden ring. This is actually what uh, Lord of the Rings was based off of. Thank you. And, um, good. Um, so this young Greek knight finds this golden ring, and when he puts it on, he disappears. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's like the Hobbit. So it wasn't an original idea from Tolkien. So he puts on the ring, and he disappears. And what he does is he... He's invisible, and he can do whatever he wants to do, and he can get away with it. See, there's the, there's the catch. There's the moral of the story. He has power to literally get away with murder, and he does. He kills the king, you know, steals enough money to win the princess and becomes the king. So this is the thoughts that we have to think about. If I had the ability to get away with murder, would I do it? If I had the ability to walk through walls and be invisible, would I, would I rob a bank? What would you do if you had complete power where you wouldn't get caught? What would you do? You wouldn't get caught. So, you know, you think about this and like, oh, I wouldn't do it because I know God's watching me. Really? Okay, this is, this is where we're going to start really digging into this. Really, would you really do that even though God's watching you? And well, there's a great story that we're going to get to 
about that topic. Okay, so what do you do in the dark? Um, good character. So there's, we're going to be looking at six principles of godly character, having a good reputation, how to build a good reputation. What does that really look like? What's it mean? All right, first thing that we're going to look at today is uh, on your outline, number one, respect is earned through integrity, right? That's your first fill-in. Respect is earned through integrity. You want to build a name for yourself, a godly name? You have to, you have, to have integrity. What is, what's the definition of t- integrity? You're, you might think, well, this is to be honest. Yes, it's true. You know, in, integrity is the ability to be completely honest, and you might be thinking to yourself, I'm an honest guy. I don't lie. I'm, a, I'm an honest gal. I, you know, I don't, I don't bend the rules at all. That's good. But it doesn't, integrity just doesn't stop there. It, it, it has, its, has its foundations in truth. What is the truth of who you are? What is the, the truth of your life? And so, you know, you're, whether you lie or not, that tells you if you're being truthful or not. So, um, in Proverbs 17:7, respected people do not tell lies. Respected people don't tell lies. This is difficult because what do we have that always hangs up, hangs us up, even me? We have white lies, right? These little lies that aren't going to hurt you or not going to hurt anybody else. You know, you're you're late for work. What's the number one excuse for being late for work? Stuck in traffic, right? So, you know, everybody's going to buy that one. It's the number one fib that we tell our employees or our spouses or whatever. And, you know, it's our excuse. And so we'll, we'll say stuff like that. So um, actually Socrates uh, was committed to living a life where he didn't tell any lies at all, even if it meant his own death. And, of course, it, it, he, he died because he was so truthful. And, you know, he basically said there are no gods. Interesting. But, um, you know, what, are you completely truthful? I mean, you might be truthful. You might not cheat on your taxes, you know. But uh, what about Santa Claus? Hmm? What about Santa Claus? See, I, I, I'm struggling with this because I lied to my child about Santa Claus. This is difficult stuff. The McGarrities don't lie to their kids. They, said, they say, Santa Claus doesn't love you. We, we bought you those presents. We love you. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, they, they, they raised their kids by saying, there, you know, there was, you know, there was St. Nicholas, but there's no uh, marketed Santa Claus as we know it. He doesn't come down the chimney. He was a historical figure, but he's not this mythological figure that gives you presents. We do, okay? So, you know, I'm going to be probably lying to my kid about the Easter bunny in a couple weeks here. I'm going <laughs> to go around the back door, ring the doorbell, run back. So this is, you know, okay, those are little white lies, right? I have to think about these things. Okay, why do I do this? Well, I want to, you know, I do it for my kid, and I want her to have an imagination and things like that, right? Do you guys remember that Guy Coke commercial with Abraham Lincoln? Remember this one? Where where Mrs. Lincoln says, you know, do I look fat in this dress? And this is Honest Abe, and he's like, well, uh, just a little bit. And she, you know, it's it's a lose lose situation. You know, guys, if if your wives say, how do I, you know, do I look fat in this dress? You lie. <laughs> if you know what's good for you, you you lie. You, it's a lose lose situation. Okay. And, 
I joke around, but actually, you know, I've done that before. I, am, I will be completely transparent. I have done that. I have also, I have been honest at the same time. That didn't work out well either. <laughs> but if you're, if you're married, if you're in a committed relationship, if you guys are close, uh, unfortunately, your spouse knows when you're lying. And so my wife, can, she can nail me a mile away if I'm, if I'm not being completely truthful. That's what, a, that's what a real relationship's like. You know when somebody's not being completely truthful. And so um, I really don't know how to get around that question. I just say, honey, we're not talking about it. Yes, we are. We're, you're going to tell me how I look. I'm like, no. So it, it's never a good thing. It just isn't. So there's this area of lying, but the true definition of integrity is, is wholeness. It's not just telling the truth. It is the truthful lifestyle. Being true to who you are or true to who you ought to be, true to who God has called you to be. So the person of integrity is the person that is well-rounded in every area of their life. And we've talked about the different facets and different areas of life, the different makeups of who you are. You need to be well-rounded emotionally. You need to be well-rounded physically. You need to be well-rounded spiritually. You need to be well-rounded financially. That is integrity. It's not just telling the truth. It is living a life that is integral, that is whole. So we have to be able to live a life of integrity. It is a major problem in our society. It's actually been a problem for a lot of years. I did a little bit of research on this. And, you know, back in the 80s, they were saying... Our society has lost its moral compass. We we've, we're, we're, we don't live lives of integrity anymore. Yeah, this is when I know we had the major scandals with you know Gary Hart and the Contra scandals and all that. Remember all that stuff? And they said America's going down the tubes, and it made the cover of Time magazine and all that stuff. Um, we're, we're dealing with the same stuff right now. I mean, if you just look at all the stuff that's going on in our government, what happened with Lance Armstrong, uh, we're, we're, we're losing it. I mean, the question I'm asking, is it getting worse? You know, are, 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 we, are people living lifestyles of lies, not being, in, you know, true to who the, you know, not being honest, not, not, not living a life of integrity? Is it getting worse? Uh, it makes you wonder. It really does make you wonder. But uh, it's you know this is this is our life, and we need to not get sucked into it. Everybody loved Lance Armstrong. Everybody loved this guy. Why did he Why did he cheat? Why did he uh, not play fair? Well, I I can't get into the head of Lance Armstrong. I mean, he is an, a, an interesting individual, right? I mean, he's just highly competitive, so he's going to do anything at any cost to win, right? That was, that's his drive. Uh, in high school, when I wrestled, our coaches taught us that if the ref doesn't see it, it's legal. That is how they trained us. If the ref doesn't see it, it's legal. Meaning if, if you can drive your knuckle into the guy's ribs, do it. We won. We won our leagues every year. We were mean, bad, tough. Uh, we cheated. 
Or, I, I don't know, depends on what your definition of cheating is, right? Ref didn't see it. It's legal. So those are the questions that you have to ask yourselves. Um, are you an honest person? How honest are you, really? It's tax season. How honest are you going to be on those forms? Tough, I know. Next thing we got to do is respect is earned through humility. Number two, respect is earned through humility. Proverbs 29, 23. Arrogance will bring your downfall, but if you are humble, you will be respected. Arrogance will bring your downfall. Uh, Pride comes before a fall. If you have ever fluffed up your feathers and have walked around with a prideful attitude, if you've done it in a church setting, if you've done it trying to, to be in a relationship with God, you're, you're going to biff it. You're going you're gonna to crash and burn eventually. Pride will make you stumble. You have to be humble or you will stumble. Pride was a killer. It's just, it, but, but it is who we were made up to be. I mean, this is part of our sin nature is, is this, this pride, this, you know, not being humble. I mean, it's, it's actually very difficult to teach on humility because you say, well, look at me. I'm so humble. Thank God I'm so amazingly humble, right? And this, is, this is the difficulty. We, the men tried to teach on this the other day, and it was like, how do you get around this, this humility thing? You know, is it, are you, are you being prideful by trying to be humble, by humbling yourself? Oh, look at me. Look how, you know. Uh, one of the, the, the scripture references, one of the illustrations in the Bible that, that they go after, specifically Jesus, is, you know, when you fast, you don't need to be showing people your ribs. Oh, look at me. Look how so humble and spiritual I am. Look what I can do. I'm just suffering for Christ, Right? It's that attitude that, that's poison, actually. But you think you're being humble when you're actually not. Okay, so um, Bible actually says, clothe yourselves in humility. You have to actually put on humility. Put, you have to wear it like a jacket. It needs to be a part of who you are. Um, and before you can ever be respected, because we're talking about respect, we're talking about making a name, before you can even get there, you have to be humble. It's a struggle. It's definitely a struggle for guys. Um, part of living a humble lifestyle, again, goes into integrity, that you have to be honest with yourself, you have to be transparent, and you have to be willing to be vulnerable in front of others. And that goes against nature. You can't say, I am weak in this area. If you do that, you feel like you're losing power. But in the kingdom of God, if you express your weakness, it actually leads to respect. In the world, if you express your weakness, uh, it, it will actually lead to your downfall. Interesting paradox there. Uh, LBJ, when he was president, he, he had a surgery during his his candidacy during his presidency. And uh, he was doing well. He was, he was well-received. He was somewhat popular. He was getting stuff done. But you know that guy was kind of a jokester, right, LBJ? And so he thought it would be funny to show the world his scar. So he literally opened himself up and said, hey, check out my scar. And his approval ratings dropped because he showed his weakness. Interesting, huh? Interesting how we work. 
But in the kingdom of God, you express your, you show your weakness or you come into a situation in weakness, there is honor, there's actually power, and there's actually authority. All you got to do is look at the life of Christ. He entered this world in the form of weakness, in the form of a baby. So this is, it goes against our nature, but it is a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual principle. All right, uh, next point. Respect is earned through dependability. We, ad- we admire people that we can count on to be reliable. You re- you're going to respect the people that, that stick it out, that are, that are faithful, that, that, are, that, are, that are in for the long haul, that, that they're willing to die on hill. So uh, the flaky person that jumps from job to job or group to group or whatever, you look at them and you look at, man, they're just unstable in all their ways. And when you see somebody that is unstable, that is not grounded, that is all over the map, you begin to lose respect for them, even though you might like them. They might, be, they might have a great personality. But unconsciously, you begin to lose respect for them. Um, Proverbs 25, 15. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Now, this is a, I picked this scripture because um, we tend to have this problem of projecting ourselves as being dependable when we're really not, of giving things that, that, mean, that we think that mean something when we're really, when we're really not all in. Um, years ago, we did, a, we did a fun drive similar to what we're doing right now. And the ones that, uh, that weren't able to function in humility, that said, I'm going to give all this money, and God, I literally heard this several times. God is going to, one of them was, God is going to bless my business, and I'm going to become rich so that I can bless the church. I heard that one. And quite a bit, quite often we heard, God is going to allow me to win the lottery, and then I'll bless the church. Interesting stuff. You know what we know about those people now that, that, that made a point to bring it to our attention that their pledge was big? Those folks aren't around anymore. They're not around. The ones that played the lottery thing, they're, they're not around. They, they're not dependable. They, they're making claims that, that, that they, they're not willing to fulfill or that they can't fulfill. Or when you, when you want to boil it down, their motivation is wrong. They're coming at God the wrong way. They're saying, I want God to bless me so I can bless you. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous attitude. Wednesday night, uh, we, we, we went over, we're in the book of Acts. And uh, we, the, the story, I'm going to paraphrase it because of time, but... Acts 5, it's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, one of the most difficult scriptures in the Bible because God kills people in the New Testament. And, you know, you, you, you learn about the New Covenant, you learn about the New Testament, and you think, oh, this is great, God's nice now. He's not the Old Testament God that smokes people, right? He's like, this is great, we got a nice Jesus. We have a nice God. And then we read Ananias and Sapphira. And there, you guys know the story, right? Uh, there's an incredible uh, sense of community 
in the early church, Acts 2 to Acts 5 or 6. I mean, people are just, they can't get enough of each other. They're in church together. They're in home groups together. They're, they're on the streets together. They are completely in love with each other. People, I know, isn't that weird? People loving each other. <sighs> what? There was the, the sense of community was so tight that they sold everything and put it into a common pot. Spiritual communism, this is crazy. And here's the thing, it wasn't instructed, it wasn't a rule, it wasn't, the, the, you know, it's not in the Bible. The Bible says you need, to, you, need to, you need to sell all your houses and cash in all your 401ks and throw it in the pot and give it to Josh. They didn't say that. They came in, they sold everything that they had, they put it at the apostles' feet because they didn't know what else to do. This, this, this generosity just bubbled out of them. It was not a command from the apostles. It was their response to that sense of community that they were experiencing. So this is, this is the atmosphere, right? Spirit, spiritual communism. It worked for a while. It was awesome. I wish we all could have been there. No one was without need. Everyone was happy. Amazing. Heaven on earth is what we've been talking about. And something very interesting happens as people are, are expressing themselves in this way. There's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their property, and they bring it before the apostles, and they lay it. They said, hey, we sold our land. We're giving you everything. But that was a lie. They, were, they, were, they, they didn't have integrity. They were weak. They were stingy, I guess. And they said, here's everything that we have. But they actually kept some back from themselves. The Bible doesn't even tell us how much they kept, what present they kept. It wasn't the point. Peter says, why, why are you offending the Holy Spirit? Why are you lying to God? And they, the husband falls over dead. It's scary stuff, right? What? God's killing somebody because... They're they holding back their money. Wife comes in a few minutes later. Same exact thing happens to her. She falls over dead because she lies. Now, the, the context was, Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And he says, and why? Because it's actually your money. So why did you feel obligated to lie about your own money? This is your stuff. And no one told you to give it to us, but you decided to give it to us and lie about it. Why? So uh, my friend that spoke, he really did a great job at fleshing this out. And he brought up some points that I had never seen before, or considered before. It was absolutely amazing. And um, you know, what Isaiah says, uh, Pastor Isaiah, he works at Azusa Pacific. And what he says is... Um, the lying was a part of it, right? They weren't being truthful. Uh, actually, maybe they were greedy. We're not quite sure. Maybe they're like there was some stingy, stinginess there. But actually, the whole thing was based in fear and insecurity. Because if you read the, the chapter before, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, sells his land and property cheerfully and gives it freely, the spirit of generosity. So what happens is Ananias and Sapphira, they look at that, and that's what they want. They want the honor and the respect that was being expressed 
towards, um, towards Barnabas. So it was the, the sin, the reason why God killed them, it wasn't because they were greedy. It wasn't because they lied. It's because they had spiritual pride. Because they, <laughs> they were looking at somebody and they had this, this jealousy that welled up. They, they, they wanted what Barnabas had. It was, it was pride. It was spiritual pride. They wanted to be respected like him. And they just had that fear where they kept a little bit of it or something. So it was pride and materialism. Now, whenever you're in your, your little small groups and you're in your circles of trust and you begin to attempt to be transparent, you begin to attempt to be open and, and express what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with, right? Um, usually when people take that step to be transparent, they'll say, okay, um, I'm really struggling with my with my daily time with God. I've blown it three days in a row where I haven't had a devotional. Oh my gosh, you're such a sinner. It's just, oh, you must not love God then. Okay, so these are the things, we, we confess that. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, I'm struggling with my, with my anger, so we might confess that one, or uh, we might confess, uh, I don't know. Um, what's an easy one to confess? Um, Oh, you're driving down the freeway and, and, and you do something inappropriate because you got cut off. So these are things that, these are things that, we, are, that we can confess easily, right? Um, the more difficult ones that we don't confess when we're in our little circles of trust are the taboo sins, taboo sins. So like adultery, like, right? Like if I was committing adultery, I wouldn't tell you guys, right? I would just, I wouldn't. I just, I, I, might, I might tell Chris someday, you know, me and him. I might confess it that way. But I'm not going to tell the whole world right off the bat. I won't be that transparent. For, if, if I'm struggling with pornography, I'm not going to tell the world. I'm not going to put it on Facebook, right? It's just, we don't do that with taboo sins. They need to be confessed. They need to be dealt with. But there's one sin that... It's like, you know, oh, I forgot to do my devotional. I'm being lazy. It's like those confessions that we do all the time. And it is the pride one. Oh, I'm just, uh, I did, you know, I acted out in this way and I acted pridefully. And, you know, and, and, and we'll, we'll confess that one. It comes off pretty easy. It rolls off the tongue really easily. The other one is materialism. Oh, you know, I was in the, I was in the mall the other day and I had a weak moment and I bought the shoes. Right, ladies? So, and then that's what we do. We laugh about it. This is the point my friend made. This is interesting. We will laugh about materialism and we will laugh about prideful attitudes and we'll joke about it. And we don't have a problem airing it. We don't have a problem putting it on Facebook. Not that big of a deal. That was the sin that smoked Ananias and Sapphira. It was the taboo sins. It was the ones that we joke about that aren't that big of a deal. Interesting, huh? And so we have to think about these things. We have to think about um, we have to think about you know, how dependable are we in these situations? And Jude, if you have uh, this is on your bulletin too. I love this verse, uh, Jude one verse twelve. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Okay, early church they had. 
Uh, they had people over at their house all the time. They called them love feasts. This is actually the first reference to a love feast uh, in the ancient world. It's where they had communion. We're going to have communion coming up this month. Uh, they had communion in their homes. They called them love feasts. It was church in the home, basically. It was interesting. But anyway, um, these are the men who are hidden reefs. Now, this word for hidden reefs, it gets translated in two ways. It gets translated as a hidden reef or a rock that's under the water. And it also gets translated as a stain, as a mark, as a dirty mark. And I was trying to figure out why, why, the, you know, why the difference, and I can't. So I needed to like have like dial a Greek scholar or something like this because I, I can't, I don't know why. But that, those are the two translations for this word. It's a, it's a rock that's under the water or it's a stain, a blemish. And, okay, so these are the men who are a stain or a hidden rock at your, at your dinner table, the ones you're having community with. They feast with you without fear. So there's no fear in them. Just, they have a sense of pride. Here's the thing, caring for themselves. This is tough stuff. There's people that could be in our community that they don't care about the community. They care about themselves and what is in it for them. If I do this God thing, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? They weigh the advantages. Those folks, those men and women are clouds without water. They're just they don't serve a purpose. The cloud that doesn't rain, it doesn't have a purpose. It just looks pretty, right? It just takes up space. Carried along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit. A tree without fruit. We all know what the Bible says, the trees that don't produce fruit. And this is what I love. They are doubly dead. Not mostly dead. Doubly dead. I love that. They're uprooted. These are undependable people. They could be sitting at your table. You could even be one of them and not even know it. That was what was at stake at the early church. They had community in Ananias and Sapphira. They were stains. They were rocks under the water. They were going to dismantle the movement. I'm sure God wouldn't do that today if we acted like they did. But there was a lot more at stake then. They were a, they were a cancer. They were a stain. They, had a, they were going to mess up the whole thing. God meant business. It's a serious, serious business. This issue of community, of being able to trust each other, to be able to not be selfish or to live a selfish lifestyle or to say, what can I get out of it? There was none of that talk there. And as soon as it cropped up, God dealt with it in a big way, right? Scary way. All right, next point. Respect must be earned through living by priority. I've been talking a lot about that. When you live, when you choose to live by priority on what is, you know, the true purpose of your life, it makes everything clear. People will respect you. Even if you have a nine-to-five daily job that has absolutely nothing to do with spirituality or church or whatever, you're, you know, you're just doing your job. But if your job is to serve the ultimate purpose, whatever God has revealed to you, you're going to be respected. 
Respect is, is a key issue in your daily life. No matter what you do for a living, people ought to respect you. I'm not saying they don't like you, they don't disagree with you, you don't have people problems, but at the end of the day, you should be respected. And I know that's very difficult when you're working in an environment where your boss just doesn't respect you. That's tragic. But maybe if you follow some of these steps, you might get there. We'll see. But you have to begin to live by priority. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it to get the white picket fence? Or is there a bigger purpose to your life? Get to ask these questions. Proverbs eleven twenty seven. If your goals are good, you will be respected. Are your goals good? Is your life goal? We talked about life goals a couple weeks ago. Is your goal good? Or is your goal selfish? Proverbs 14.22, you will earn the trust and respect of others if you work for good. All right, next point. Respect is earned through generosity. Uh, he, Proverbs 1.12.9, he who gives generously to the needy and shows kindness will, will be powerful and respected. All right, this is the heart of God is taking care of the disenfranchised and the needy, you know, the, the symbolic widows and orphans. So where are the, the, where are the widows and orphans in your life? You've you got to engage these people. You've to care for them. And this area of generosity, um, I don't, I mean, I could talk about money, but I want to talk about money. I want to talk about your gener, generous lifestyle. Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your information? In your workplace, do you share information freely? Or do you hoard information and you keep it from your colleagues? Like something that could help them. And if you share it, it's not going to hurt you, but it could help them. Are you, are you generous in that way? Do you, do you, the information, the knowledge, the, the betterment of who you are, do you give it away? Do you give it away? It's tough, I know, because you want to, I mean, Knowledge is power, right? Do you share your power? Do you share your knowledge? It's tough. But you will be respected if you do it. All right, last point. Got to get there because of time. Respect is earned through spirituality. Now, this is definitely, now you're not going to get this in the world for sure, but respect is earned through your spiritual walk with the Lord. What does that look like? Proverbs 3, verse 4 through 6. If you want favor with both God and man, a reputation for good judgment and common sense, then trust the Lord completely in everything you do. Put God first. There it is right there. That's the mark of spirituality. Is God first in your life? And he will direct you and crown you, uh, and crown your efforts with success. Uh, Billy Graham is, obviously he's a spiritual leader. And on the Gallup most respected people poll, he has been on that list for the last 30 plus years. It's, a, it's an incredible feat. I was looking at the list of, of admired people for 2012, and it's, um, 
you know, Barack Obama, Mitt Romney, uh, Billy Graham is still on there, uh, the Dalai Lama, uh, let's see, the Pope. Um, so these are the respected people. And on the women, it was Hillary Clinton, uh, Michelle Obama, um, uh, Sarah Palin. So we have this mix of people that, that, and this is a world report, that the world respects. So it's a kind of a diverse mix of people. It's interesting. And uh, you know, these, are, these are people that, that, that respect. So I was curious, and, and I looked up who gets, who's the most popular people in the world. And none of them came close to the list. Well, except for President Obama. He's the only one that made that list. But they didn't even make the 100 list. The rest of the people that we respect who made that list was, uh, oh, you can imagine. It's the, it's the Kim Kardashians. It's the, uh, it's the Justin Bieber. Actually, Justin Bieber made the list for the most respected woman. Uh, <laughs> I, just for real. Um, I know. Um, All, you know, all these different folks, um, uh, Katy Perry and soccer players and things like this. You know, the ones that I rattled off, the admired ones, they didn't even make the list. And what's that tell us about our society? It tells us that we're more interested in image than we are character. And this is the, this is, this is the tough tension that we play. Am I, am I out to improve my image or am I out to improve my character? Uh, if you're out to improve your character, you're on a spiritual path. If you're out to improve your image, you're on a worldly path. We, there's entire industries that are image consultants. We saw it during the elections when, when Romney blew it when he got tape recorded during that fundraiser. Remember that? When he said mean things about poor people? Okay, remember when he did that? Yeah, they tape recorded him. You know what they did? They hired image people to come in and fix this thing and to spin it. So they took pictures of him serving the poor and stuff. Mother Teresa, this is an interesting point. This is, she, she was the number one admired person on that list when she was alive. And then it actually carried over until after her death. Um, obviously, she should be respected. She's done stuff more you know, than any of us put together. She died within, I don't know, a week or so of Princess Di. Remember that? Remember when that happened? She didn't get any airtime. Princess Di got all the, the, all the attention. Now, I don't want to say that Princess Di was a bad person. She did humanitarian work. And I've actually seen footage where she's taking care of people that lost limbs because of, of landmines. That was her thing, was taking care of kids that lost limbs from landmines. Good work. Um, but Mother Teresa stayed in Calcutta. Princess Di went back to her palace. And we think that she's awesome. We think she's pretty. We think, you know, we want to be like her. We want to, you know, um, my friends, when this happened, I had, I had girlfriends, can you believe it? Um, and they were crying. I'm like, don't you know that Mother Teresa died too? Why aren't you shedding tears over her, over her death? Oh, she died? <laughs> yeah. You see where our priority, we're, we're all about image, we're not about character. Again, I don't want to beat up Princess Di, I think she did good work, but I guarantee she had somebody hired to work on her image. All right, Di, you know that this scandal's going to blow up. 
You know, this, you know, this, this affair that you're having, it's going to get ugly, and we're going to have to spin this thing, so let's go to the orphanage. Let's get some photo ops. Let's bring our cameras. Mother Teresa didn't have a camera crew for her. Right? So do you see? You see what, what the situation that we live in. What is seen and what is unseen. What is seen is image. I'm not saying it could be bad, but uh, character should, should come first. What you do in the dark should come first. If I could have the band and the ushers to come to the front. As they're on their way up. <clears throat> Proverbs 10, verse 7. Good people will be remembered as a blessing, but the wicked will soon be forgotten. Good people will be remembered, and you want to be remembered. You want something good to be on your tombstone. When you die, you want people to say, good. what are they going to say about you when you die? Ah, oh, he's a good businessman. But, you know, yeah, she, you know, she helped out there, but she just she wasn't a very good mom. Or What are they going to say about you when you die? You know what's, <laughs> I've done a couple of these. I've done funerals where I'm trying to dig out something nice about the person. Those are the most depressing things in the world. I'm like, did he do anything good? Did he at least have a heart for God? No, he was kind of a selfish jerk. I, you know, I'm supposed to make a message on this? So I got to make stuff up. <laughs> I, do you want somebody to make stuff up for your funeral? What are they going to say about you? Let's pray. Father, right now we thank you for we thank you for what you have framed out for us in your word. God, those those clues of what heaven are, what reality should be, what true community should be like. And I pray that, that we'll, we will strive towards that. God, we will God, when we honestly take a good look at ourselves to make a name for ourselves, God, I pray that it will be within your will and not ours. God, I pray that we'll be after character, which takes time that we will build lives of character rather than trying to build a life of image. Pray that we'll just forgive us of this sin of trying to impress people and how we look and how we act. God, we'll just be more concerned about impressing you, of loving you, and showing us, showing you how thankful we are for being in our lives, for saving us from sin. Thank you, Father. Pray that you bless this offering.